Let me just say uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your, for your faithfulness over the past few weeks uh, when uh, Jeff has been gone. And uh, thank you for how you have given um, and your attendance. Uh, thank you for those who participated in the service last week. Was that a blessing? Uh, that was just awesome. If you, if you were not here and you missed last week, you missed last week. And it was a great time. Uh, a lot of you were able to share what God has been doing, a great time of singing together. And so thank you for those who participate in that as well. You'll never guess where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Anybody have a guess? All right. So we are going to be back in James. Uh, I jokingly said this about, I actually don't, I've lost track of time. I think it was a year and a half to two years ago. Uh, we'll be in James for the next 10 years for the few times a year that I get to preach. And so far that is tracking. So uh, we will find ourselves in James here this morning. Uh, pretty excited about our passage this morning. So as a review, uh, James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. So it gives us this practical advice of how we are supposed to live out our daily life. Kind of much of what we find in the book of Proverbs as well. In fact, James, is, James gives us this list of what genuine faith looks like. He, genuine faith looks like this. All right, here are some things that we uh, discussed in chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 2 today. But chapter 1, we looked at genuine faith perseveres in trials. Genuine faith seeks wisdom from God. There's lots of decisions that we make right, every day. Genuine faith seeks wisdom for those decisions from God. Genuine faith endures temptations. Genuine faith is quick to hear the Word of God. Genuine faith is not just a hearer, so we don't just hear the Word of God, but we do. It is also a doer. That was all chapter 1. All right, then we found ourselves about two times ago in chapter 2, we looked at genuine faith shows no partiality. In fact, in, in review of that, what's the difference between showing favoritism and showing favor? So favoritism is, we're good at this. Showing favoritism has the idea that I do something or have this mindset of what can I get in return. That's why the Bible contrasts a lot of times the rich and the poor. Why? Because we may favor someone who has wealth because we think that could benefit us in some way. That's why we always try to have friends that have lake toys, right? So because they have, because I don't, so I need to have, okay, not really. But we show favoritism to people who have things that we can get in return, and oftentimes we'll reject the poor because they don't have much to offer. That's favoritism. This happens, this happens today. It happens all the time where we see some group of people that can maybe get us some because they have more influence or more clout, and so we have favoritism or partiality towards them versus someone who really gains us nothing. That's favoritism. In contrast to that, favor is realizing or expecting nothing in return. Right? God shows us favor every day and showers us with blessings every day, realizing that we have nothing to give in return. So that was, that was, that's not today's message. That was, that was last time's message. Favoritism versus favor. Genuine faith doesn't show partiality or favoritism. All right. Now, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which I hope most of you have done that this morning, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your salvation does not come from you being here at church this morning. It doesn't come. We had baptism a few weeks ago. Just because you get baptized, we mention this every time, just because you get baptized, is that, that does not mean you are a Christian. The way to heaven, and he is all you need for salvation. But if that is true, and Jesus is your Lord, then there will be fruit and evidence of that fact, which is what we're finding here in the book of James. 
So today we're going to look at another fruit of genuine faith. So let's look at James 2. I think your sheet there, your first blank, we're going to look at genuine faith bears the fruit of good works. Genuine faith bears the fruit of good works. Now at the end of chapter 1, we saw that we are not just to hear, but we are to do. Don't just hear God's word. So this morning, don't just hear God's word, but we are supposed to do. Follow that. Don't just listen to the truth, but have actions that follow that and put in place after you hear truth. James 1, and 23 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Don't just hear, do. Now in chapter 2, we're actually going to read here in just a second. We're going to see that we're not just to say, but we are to do. Don't just say that you have faith. You should have actions and works that prove that. All right, you ready? So let's dig into James 2. We're going to read a passage of Scripture here. Follow along with me. The verses will be up there on the screen. James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers... The book of James is being written to who? Believers, Christians. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm used to like the youth, and I'm always trying to get like them to participate. I guess we're not supposed to do that on Sunday morning. That's okay. Written to Christians that are scared abroad for various reasons, for work-related things, a lot of persecution when James is writing to these believers. Here it is. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? That's an important wording of that phrase. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. That's very nice of you to say that. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, another phrase, we're going to give a little bit of time to this here in a little bit. Someone will say is similar to that verse in 14 where it says the phrase, if someone says he has faith. We'll address that here in just a minute. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And we have a couple examples. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Phew. All right, so here's where we're at. I was reading through this passage a whole bunch of times this week, and I was like, kind of one main thought here, a lot of different things. But the more I dug into this, uh, the plan was to do this in one week. But I'm not going to preach until 1220 or 1225. Thank you, Tim. I know. Okay. Uh, so we're actually going to split this up, and uh, we're only going to cover half of this this week, 
And if none of you show up next week, I don't know why. But we're going we're gonna to come back next week and finish out this passage. And I'm, it's in the, uh, the meat of that is really going to be next week because there's a lot in here. Now, as I read through this passage, several different questions come to my mind. Maybe you had them even as we were reading through these. Kind of like, okay, then here's a few questions. You think of some of the questions that maybe came to your mind. I'm gonna, I wrote some questions down that maybe came to your mind as well. Is James saying that works is part of salvation? Okay, we know the answer to that, right? The answer is no, absolutely not, okay? But there are certain phrases that certainly give me that impression. Another question, is faith alone enough for salvation? It's tricky. Are James and Paul at great odds with each other in what they teach? You don't have to keep answering these. You just answer them to yourself. Can someone say they have faith and not actually have faith, genuine faith? What do we mean by dead faith? Two more questions. Is knowledge of God enough for salvation? Is knowledge of God enough for salvation? And then my last question, what does justified by works mean? We had that phrase a couple times. Verse 24, uh, you see a pers- that a person is justified by works. The same way it was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. What does that mean? Now, Many people have had issues, with, historically have had issues with the book of James, and this is one of those passages where you look at this and think, that doesn't sound right from what I understand and believe. But the Bible, we know, doesn't contradict itself, and so we struggle with some of these phrases and this word justified by works. All right, so let's back up a little bit. Paul clearly states in Romans 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. Right? We know that. We believe that. Salvation is not of works. Okay, so it appears as though Paul only speaks of grace. Now, I was was thinking through this and kind of contrasting the two of these, and I want us to have a good understanding of this. This is why we're kind of taking some good time here in the introduction. Contrasting Paul and James, and what do they mean? Are they contradicting themselves, or let's clear up the misunderstanding there? Paul seems to speak mainly of grace and faith alone, which we agree with. I say that every time we do baptism. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. But does Paul ever refer to or talk about works? I'll give you two examples. There were actually a handful of them. We won't look at all of them this morning. Romans 2, 6. This is Paul. God will render to each one according to his works. Romans 13, 12. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. So cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. All right, there were several other references I could give. So Paul is not, doesn't only mention grace. He does refer to works, but his main emphasis is salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we'd always say hearty amen to that. So Paul's position is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? But the meaning of this will greatly depend on how you define believe. Now, some of you are like, what is this guy talking about? He's never going to be asked to preach again at Grace View. All right? I think there are two types of belief. Are you with me? There is a belief that is purely intellectual. And we just read about that in the passage that we read. Even the demons believe in God. Right? 
So they, in fact, they probably have a lot more understanding than what we do for a lot of things. Do the demons believe in God? Yes. Do they believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do they believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? Yes. Will they spend eternity in the presence of God? No. So there's a belief that is purely intellectual. That verse we won't even get to this week. We'll have that next week. But there's also a belief that is not only intellectual but affects my heart and my actions, and Paul would agree with this. It's not just a head knowledge, but my actions must back up this faith and belief. Paul emphasizes grace, that is true. James is focusing on works, right? So what's the contrast, what's the difference? Well, here it is. It's the starting point at where they begin their talking. Paul is talking about the point, are you with me still? Paul is talking about the point of salvation. And salvation is by, I'm emphasizing this many times today, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we become justified it is entirely a work of God. Paul would say, no one can come to a right relationship with God apart from God doing the work. God draws us to himself. This is by grace alone. James, again, who's, who's the book of James written to? Believers. So James is picking up this, understand the person has already become a Christian. So he's not talking about this point of becoming a Christian, already past this point, this person has become a Christian and has already been justified. We're going to explain that word here in just a minute. James states that this person must now live in a way that is sanctified or being sanctified. The issue is that these two men use the word justified to mean two different things. Are you with me? So, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can look at Greek words and try to pronounce them correctly. So there is a Greek word, dikeo. This is that word justified, and it has two general meanings. Paul uses justified to mean to be declared righteous, and this is what we most often think of when we think of the word justified, to be declared righteous. In other words, God declares your righteousness because of the cross and what Christ did. He's talking about salvation, this great exchange, right? Your, his robes for mine, oh, wonderful exchange. We took our filthy rags and put them on Jesus on the cross, and he bore all of our sins, and yet he clothed us in his robes of righteousness. That happens at the point of salvation. We become justified. We are declared righteous. And all God's people said, amen. James uses this word justified to mean to be shown as righteous. There's other general meaning of the word justified, to be shown as righteous or proof of being justified. So he's saying that your works demonstrate your righteousness. He is talking about this process we call sanctification. Now, in summary of this passage, the whole passage we just read, James 2, there's three summary statements of this same idea, all right? I don't think these are on your sheet. You can write these verses down. And I did just leave some blanks in there for you just to write notes. Uh, but here, verse 17. So there's three verses that kind of give a summary of this passage. Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Faith is not alone. 
justified by works, shown to be righteous by your works. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, our spirit will live forever. You take your body away from that, it's dead in the grave. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So these three verses kind of summarize this whole passage, kind of give a summary statement, kind of reiterated three different times. James is very concerned that faith does not stand alone and if it stands alone, James is calling your faith into question, is it real? Is it genuine? You may have heard it stated this way, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. That's good. Let me say that again. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. In other words, genuine faith will be evidenced in a life of works. The question would be, what do those works look like? What does that mean? We, we have several examples here, and we'll work through this passage as we go. But this is a process of sanctification. When I read through James, maybe you, as, you, as you've read through James, even what we talked about, are we perfect in all these different areas that we've talked about? And we have, I just listed at the very beginning like seven different genuine faith looks like this. Are we in all those areas. No. In fact, when I read through that, even this passage, I'm convicted of things that I need to work on. Why? Because this process of sanctification is exactly that. It's a process. So look at your life. When I become saved, I am justified to be declared righteous, but it begins this process of sanctification, being confident of this very thing which He with had begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is a lifelong process. But what I want to ask myself and consider, you consider this morning, is not that I noticed a big difference from yesterday to today, but what did my life look like a month ago, or let's even say a year ago? If I have genuine faith, there, there's still areas of weakness. I have plenty, and you do as well. But my life a year ago in certain areas should be a closer walk with God and look better and more resemble Jesus Christ today than it did a year ago. If your faith is genuine, that is taking place. And that's what James is telling us. We are in a process of sanctification. All right? So, because genuine faith is continuing to, to produce works, then I'm going to more closely resemble these works of Christ. Now, let's look at each verse here as we kind of break down these verses. We're only going to get through the first couple here this morning, and then we're going to continue with really kind of the meat. In fact, next week, let's give you this. We talk about two people. We read Abraham and Rahab. We're not talking about them this morning, but next week we're going to talk about Abraham and Rahab. They're mo both mentioned in this passage talking about genuine faith dealing with works related. Can we have two more drastic people in the faith of Christianity than Abraham and Rahab? Come back next week and we'll talk about that. Right? But we're looking at verse 14 here this morning. Ready? Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers? Keeps like he seems to keep referring to believers here, my brothers and sisters. What good is it, my brothers? And here's an example. If someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, we are talking about faith in Jesus since that is what we're not talking about faith in the chair that's going to hold you up this morning. We're talking about faith in Jesus, because that's what this passage has been talking about leading up to this. If someone says he has faith 
but does not have works, can that faith save him? Here's what James does not say. Here's what James does not say. What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? Did you notice the difference? Did you catch the difference? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, that's what I read in verse 14. He did not say if someone has faith but does not have works. Why? Because that's the whole point James is making. James is saying if someone has genuine faith, their life is going to show it. They're going to be works. They're going to be fruit. All right? So is it possible for someone to say they have faith and not have true faith? Well, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is when you say, Lord, Lord, will I prophesied in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. That, that's a horribly sad verse. Then James asks this question, can that faith save him? The way this is worded, James is not actually throwing this out to us to decide whether we think. What is he saying the answer to the question is? No. No way. So verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, So if a brother or sister, again, talking to Christians here, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, verse 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Okay, so we just got done reading verse 14, right? If someone says he has faith but has no works, and then he gives us this example. Are you with me? All right, so must be something related to one of the works that we should have evidence in our life is following this example. So don't say you have faith if you don't, aren't going to back it up with any sort of work or action that's, that looks like someone who says they're going to have faith or has actual faith. Then we have this example in verse 15. A brother or sister, so we're referring to another brother or sister in Christ, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. All right. So we see someone that comes in our path or comes in our area or comes in our area, a sphere of influence, and we see a need that they are lacking daily food, and we make a comment, go in peace, be warmed and filled. That's, I don't know that I would ever use that phrasing, but the idea is, boy, that's, that's great. I'm going to pray for you that you can get some food today, and we go on our merry way, all right? James is saying, is that the kind of faith that we're talking about here that we want to have as a Christian? No. What good does that do? So what if someone is within our community of faith or part of our church body and they have a need? We're going to park on this idea here for a little bit, um, and we're going to actually be done here in about 10, 15 minutes, all right? So hang with me. If all we do is offer people words, does that meet a need? You know, I think we go back sometimes. I think sometimes we are so wrapped up in our own self. It's not even that we say words and don't mean it. Sometimes we are so wrapped up in ourselves we don't even see the need. So here James reminds us when we see a need. Now this is actually referring to someone who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Now, if we think of our world that we live in, it is in great contrast to the, to the world and culture that James is writing to these people. A lot of these were very poor farmers who they would struggle from day to day with their basic food and providing for their food. Maybe they have enough for today, maybe the next day. So James here is writing to them, these people are poor, all right? So they might have enough for today. So let's say I'm farmer A and I have enough food for 
today for my family, and I've got a little bit extra even prepared already for tomorrow, and I see a brother or sister, again, we're referring to a brother or sister in Christ, that does not have enough food for today, if I have genuine faith, then I'm going to see a need and not just walk the other way, but I'm going to meet a need. Now, the issue comes is do we come across that very many times where literally we run into people that don't have enough food for today? That's probably not our issue, okay? But we can take some valuable insight from this of how are we supposed to treat others, all right? There are two main resources that we have. I think this is a blank on your sheet. We have two main resources that we have that are limited and precious, and they are time and money, all right? Time and money. You can invest these resources into other people, or you can invest them into yourself, right? I'm going to give you an example uh, before we kind of uh, talk about this a little bit more. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, this actually came up. Uh, we were driving in a car. Uh, Danielle was just having a conversation. I was driving. Uh, her parents were in the car with us. We were driving for lunch, and Danielle was just making this comment, and, it, and I wasn't even really involved, just kind of listening, and it had nothing to do with this message, but the connection point kind of struck me. So they're having a conversation. Now, most of you know that uh, we are foster parents, and we currently have two um, foster children. And I'm not going to say their name just because it's being live streamed, but we have two foster children in our home. And so what Danielle was expressing here as we were just talking is when we, first, when we got our first uh, foster child, when he came into our home, I've expressed this, that it was a rough first few days, all right? And so I think I mentioned last week, like, what, what was the return policy on this? Or it was, we weren't prepared. We were not ready, and it was quite overwhelming. But as time went along, there was a love that grew, right? To the point now that we are a long time from those first early days, and we are to the point now where we can honestly say, and this was Daniel's point, is we, we, we love him. I don't think we could say we love him any different than our own biological children. That love has grown to, to be massive amount of love for this and you, many of you have loved on him as well. So here's, here's the connection. Then her next comment was, but what was so different is when we got the second child, we didn't have any time that we needed to grow our love for him because it was almost, it was just instant. Why? Because it was a connection, because we have no connection to him, not biological, not through blood. There was, we didn't know this baby at all. And yet it was immediate love for him because of the connection to someone else that we already loved. Do you see where I'm going with this? She was, she was explaining this, and I'm sitting there thinking, that is what I've been reading. My love for Jesus Christ has grown as I have become a Christian. I hope it for, has the same for you. So as I love Jesus for all that he has done for me, over and over and over again, showering me with blessings, but just redeeming me and what he did on the cross of Christ. I have a great love for Jesus. And whoever here is a brother or sister, I have no connection to. I don't know them at all. Or maybe I know them a little bit. And there isn't, you know what? I can love that person in a way that the world doesn't understand. Why? Because I love Jesus and they love Jesus and we have an instant connection. Does that make sense? So here we come to a point where we have these two valuable resources. 
time, and money. What about us today? We live in, I think, the richest culture, the richest country in all the world. And if we took, I have no idea who this is, the poorest person in this room, we're still way wealthier than so much of the world, and then just think of all of history. We have so much wealth in right here. So sometimes we don't even understand needs on the level that even James is talking about. We have so much. We have spent so much of our resources on, and I just made a list. I think of the list. What are some of the things I spend my money on? Phones, cars, internet, TV services, sporting events, clothes. I stopped and paused on clothes for a little bit. I was thinking of this. This would actually be entertaining if we actually did this. If you took all the clothes that you own, and you could only uh, wear um, an outfit, okay? But you couldn't re-wear that article of clothing until you've worn everything that you own. How long would you be able to wear your clothes? Did you understand what I was saying? Like, if you, wore, you, you wouldn't ever repeat an article of clothing. I'm sure that a lot of us could go weeks. And I'm sure of us, a lot of us could go months. We'll stop there, all right? We have a lot, and we have spent so much of the resource of our money and finances on ourselves, and oftentimes we limit ourselves of the blessing that we can be to other people because we've spent it all already. Examine your own financial expenditures and say, you know what, I, I can't really help you out this month I've, because you already made decisions that have spent all of your money. That's why you have nothing left. So I'm sitting here evaluating this. How do I spend my time and money? What about time? We have filled our days. We are so busy with ball games and our kids and events and recitals and show and shopping and trips and vacations and on and on that we don't have any left to serve other people. So as we kind of finish up this thought, where are you spending your two resources of time and money? What we need to remember is that these resources aren't even ours to begin with, but they have been given to us by God. And are you being a good steward of those two resources? So here's a couple questions. Do you give to the church? This isn't a message about giving to the church or tithing, but it certainly fits. Do you give to the church? When was the last time that you saw a financial need and then acted on that need? I already mentioned this. We first have to see a need. But don't just see a need, act on that need. You say your faith is genuine, and I believe that most of you in here, that is true. Then how are we spending this resource of money? Another question, where are you currently serving in the church? When was the last time that you took of your own time and served someone else? Think of that. When was the last time that you took your own time and served someone else? Well, here's the great thing. As I was thinking about this message this week, so many names of you in here came to my mind that are doing this exact same thing. Why? Because your faith is genuine. That's why. When our faith is genuine, then these works will be flushed out in our life, and we will consider how we spend our time and how we consider our money. 
But here's the thing. Collectively, I feel like we do a pretty decent job of showing this. But let's individually, you think for yourself, are there, even as I've been talking this morning, are there areas that you have seen a need and had the opportunity and the ability and the resources to meet a need and you just passed and left on and didn't meet a need? Again, this is a process, right? This is a process of sanctification. So as the Holy Spirit may be bringing something to your mind this morning, you may be saying, you know what? I, I know of a need in that person's life, and today or this week, I'm going to take of my resources and meet that need. That may be what is for you this morning. You say your faith is genuine, then be justified by your works. You're not saved by your works, but we prove that our faith is true and real by taking what the Spirit of God teaches us and pricks our hearts to do, and then we act on it. James is saying, you want to know what genuine faith looks like? It bears the fruit of compassion. Do you have compassion on other people? I know in my life, man, I can get so tunnel vision of what I got to do for me and mine, me and my family, all right? And, that's, and we don't see the needs that are all around us. See the needs. Have a heart of compassion and love like Jesus exemplifies for us. See a need and then meet a need. You have the resources to do that? I think that's what God has for us this morning. There may be some wow, specific that God has brought to your mind. Maybe it's there of resources of time, of just giving of your time. Or maybe it's a resource of money or financially. You know what? Sometimes it may just be the fact of taking the time to say, you know what? I can tell that you're struggling, brother or sister. Can I pray with you? Sometimes we don't even take the time to do that. You know, that could be the greatest need in a person's life. So when God and His Holy Spirit reveals ways that you can meet a need, be willing and ready, see a need and meet a need. Now, I'm going to end there, and that's early. That's my goal, though. Come back next week. I hope that you'll be here, and we are going to get into the rest of this section. It gives us several different examples, and I've already kind of mentioned that as far as Abraham and Rahab. This is fascinating why these two people would be in here. And what, again, are we talking about justified by works? We use that phrase for both of those. We alluded to that, kind of explained that a little bit this, uh, this morning already. Now, I didn't realize I was going to put this in two because it was going to be an hour and 15 minutes long if I did. So that's why we're kind of short here today. If you want to bring back that sheet, uh, the, the handout, because it was for both, for both weeks, uh, you can bring that. Otherwise, we'll have new ones here next week as well. See a need this week. You may have something in your mind already that you know, you know what? I have been spending my resources in this direction. In fact, God used this in a decision that I was struggling with of, a, of what we were going to spend money on. Uh, we were looking at for this last week or two, and God used this message in this passage to say, you know what? That is not what you need to be spending your resources on because if you ex expend yourself there, you're not going to have the ability to, when I provide a need, to be able to have the ability to do that. So God used this in my message even this last week. What is it for you? What is a resource that you need to use to help a need in someone else's life? That's a mark of someone who has genuine faith. All right, we'll pick up this next week. Thank you for your attention. Let's close in prayer, and we'll be dismissed this morning. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, as we want to be examples 
for you and uh, have marks of what someone looks like, of someone who has genuine faith. May you help us grow in these areas that I've mentioned this morning. May we be more open and seeing the needs that other people have. And may we re- use these resources of time and money uh, for your glory, not for our own, to build our own kingdom, to build your kingdom. That we may love on a brother and sister that has need. God, but there may be someone here this morning that does not have genuine faith. They may have even thought they had faith, but they look over their life for the last several years and they're like, I have no fruit. God, I pray that you would convict their heart and draw them to yourself. Maybe today that they would be put your, their faith and trust in you and begin that process of sanctification. God, give us a great week this week. Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.